Girls Podcast. My name is Rebecca Meitinger. It is wonderful to be with you again today. Today we are in our second episode on the book of Jonah, looking at Jonah and how he was trying to flee away from God. And last week we really saw that there is no such thing as fleeing away from God, that everywhere Jonah went, God was there. And in fact, when Jonah tried to get away from God, God hurled a powerful windstorm over the sea because indeed God was there (laughs) and Jonah did not go away from the Lord. He tried to get away from the Lord and the Lord was with him the entire way. And it turns out that the Lord not only was with Jonah, but because the Lord was with Jonah and because the Lord loves Jonah, the Lord is actually going to save Jonah's life. So Jonah turns out very grateful that the Lord was with him and that he actually was not able to escape from the Lord. So a recap of Jonah chapter 1, God had told Jonah to go to Nineveh. The people of Nineveh were enemies of the Jewish people and were very evil and known well for their cruelty. And so Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He went the other direction. He got on a ship and headed for Tarshish, which was probably Tarsesus in Spain, so as far west as he could have traveled at the time, thinking that he was going to escape from the Lord. But the Lord caused a huge storm on the sea. The sailors tried to figure out whose God was causing this, and Jonah said, he admitted it, he was like, it's my God. My God is the true God of the land and the sea. I am disobeying him and he is punishing me. Throw me into the sea and the sea will be calm. The sailors didn't want to do it. They tried to row to shore. They tried everything they could do to avoid throwing Jonah into the sea. But eventually they prayed for forgiveness before doing it. And then they threw Jonah into the sea. And lo and behold, the storm stopped completely. The sailors then worshipped God as the one true God when the sea was calmed. And the next thing we know is that it says that the Lord provided or sent or arranged for, in the New Living Translation, it says the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside that fish for three days and three nights. And that is where we pick up the story today. Now, I mentioned last week that Yes, I do believe that this is a literal story that Jonah was indeed swallowed by a great fish, largely because I believe the Bible, first of all, but but also because Jesus himself said that the sign of Jonah is the only sign that he's going to provide, that just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. We're going to look there today in uh, Matthew chapter 12 when when Jesus said that. So we'll see that today. But since Jesus refers to Jonah as a sign, that is really all the proof that I need that this is a true story, that this really happened. Also, we know that Jonah was a historical person. We see him, we see him prophesying during the time of Jeroboam the second in in Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, and we know that he prophesied around seven between seven eighty and seven fifty A.D. So, like, we have a historical time frame for Jonah. So it just makes sense to to believe that since Jonah was a real human, that this is a real account. 
Also, though, if we're looking for more information, you can just do a really quick Google search and say, is it possible for a human to be swallowed by specifically a sperm whale is what most most scientists would say that if anything was going to swallow a human, a sperm whale is the most likely option. And it's they will definitely still say it's not likely. In fact, the stat that I saw on the internet is one in a trillion. But it just, it's totally, like, it's its totally possible. Uh, a sperm whale can swallow an entire squid, so it can, it can swallow a human without a problem. Now, the real debate comes in, but could the human stay alive because of all the acid in the stomach and there's not air in the stomach? So that's definitely where the question comes in. And that I just have to trust that our God is a God of miracles. It's also not possible for Jesus to walk on the water, right? It's not possible for five loaves and two fishes to fill to fill the bellies of between five and 15,000 people who were, who were with Jesus that day. It's not possible for the dead to be raised back to life, right? So we have a God who is in the business of doing things that are generally not possible to do, but with God, all things are possible. So it's not a real huge concern to me about whether or not God could provide fresh air for Jonah. Yes, God can provide fresh air for Jonah. And whether or not God can allow him to live within the intestines of the fish. Yes, God can do that if God so chooses to do that. So I have no no problem whatsoever with believing this is a true literal story and Jesus took it as a true and literal story so that is all that I need so we are going to meet with Jonah today in the belly of the fish he is right in the belly of the fish and he has this incredible prayer in chapter 2 which is going to be very reminiscent of many psalms and we're going to look at a couple of psalms today because that, that's how this reads. It's, it's a poem about God saving him, which is true of many of our psalms. So I'm going to read chapter 2. It's quite short. And then we will go through and we will look at the experience that Jonah describes as he is praying to God. So Jonah chapter 2, I will read in Jesus' name. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the depths of the ocean, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, Lord, you've driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. 
And then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so let's go through it and let's just see Jonah's experience here. So for one thing, it does seem a little bit like Jonah spent most of his time in the belly of the fish, maybe recovering, maybe sleeping. And near the end of his three days in the belly of the fish, he gives this beautiful prayer to God. So it may have taken a couple of days before he started praying this beautiful prayer, or he could have been in prayer the entire time. And this is the only part that is recorded for us. That's very possible. Either way, after a couple of days in the belly of the fish, it seems that by now, Jonah is totally repentant of choosing to turn his back on God. He was already getting there when when the sailors came down when he was asleep in the bottom of the ship in chapter 1. And the sailors came down and they're like, what did you do? And he told them, I turned my back on my God. I, I tried to run away from him and this is my fault. It sounds like he was already starting to be repentant then. He was totally able to own the reality of what he had done. And now, after a couple days in the belly of the fish, after God has saved him from death, he is fully repentant of his actions of trying to run away from the Lord. And he is overflowing with gratefulness that the Lord has saved him. So he just starts out by saying, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. You, I called to you from the land of the dead. So Jonah's going to go into some description here about how he felt like he was dying. So if you look up, like, how long does it take to drown, specifically in the ocean, it's very quick. One to, one to a few minutes. It's a very quick process of losing consciousness and dying. So all that this is, all that's going to happen, we can assume is going to happen very, very quickly. But it's kind of like one of those things where it feels like it's going in slow motion, I think is what's happening here. So it feels like everything is happening in slow motion, even though it probably occurs within two to three minutes. And Jonah feels like he's sinking down into the depth. He's He feels life going out from him. He's He says, it's interesting because in verse three of chapter two, it says, you threw me into the ocean depths. And that's so interesting because actually the sailors threw Jonah into the ocean depths. But it was clear that that was from the Lord. The Lord worked through the sailors to throw Jonah into the sea. He turned the sailors' hearts towards him as the one true God and calmed the sea immediately and then allowed a, a fish to swallow Jonah. So that was God was behind all of this. Like God had ordained all of this to happen. And Jonah sees that you, God, threw me into the depths of the sea and I sank down to the heart of the sea he talks about the experience of the mighty waters engulfed me and I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. I just can't imagine how horrible and frightening that must have felt to feel the waves crashing over him in this in the sea and to feel like he was sinking down, down, down. He's going to say in verse 6, 
he felt like he felt like he sank so far down that he was down by the roots of the mountains at the bottom of the sea that that was how he felt he felt like he sank all the way down he said that sea re- seaweed wrapped itself around his head so he probably felt like he was strangling like the ocean waters just kept pummeling him down 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 he said that he felt imprisoned in the earth whose gates were going to lock shut forever like so he's just ex- explaining this feeling of drowning in incredibly specific detail of how it felt to drown and he says that while this was happening he said lord you have driven me from your presence that is so interesting because he was trying to get away from the presence of the lord it says it twice in chapter one we talked about this in the last episode in chapter one in verse three it says twice that he was hoping to escape from the Lord. Twice in one verse. And so he was trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. What we found out last week is that that is impossible. You cannot escape from the presence of the Lord. We looked last time at Psalm 139 to see that no matter where we go, we cannot flee from God's presence. And yet Jonah's experience here is that he's experiencing it as like, Lord, you drove me out of your presence. Well, no, that's not true. Jonah tried to run away from the presence of God. And because God is near and present to us all the time, God arranged for a whale to swallow Jonah. But his feelings were that God had abandoned him. So then he said, since I was feeling abandoned by God, I turned toward your holy temple, Lord. I'm looking to the Lord and I'm praying to you and you are answering me now. So now he's realizing that even though I felt far from you, I can look towards you and you are here. You are answering my prayer. So he sank down to the what he felt like was the very roots of the mountains. He says, I felt like I was imprisoned in the earth. Uh, And then he says, but you, O Lord, my God, snatched me up from the jaws of death. I think that is so interesting that he chose that, that wording for this because the Lord snatched him up in the jaws of a whale or a large fish. Might not have been a whale. Probably was. But Jonah says, you snatched me out of the jaws of death. How? By putting me in the jaws of this large fish. You saved me out of the jaws of death. In verse 7 he says, I felt my life slipping away and I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord. As all this is happening, I remembered the Lord and I cried out to you. He said, my earnest prayer went up to you. That is so, so human of Jonah. I really love Jonah's humanness his humanity that he was trying to get away from God and then when he tried to get away from God and everything went horribly for him and he felt like he was dying at that time he says an earnest prayer went out from my mouth we humans are so fragile and so frail and we can do nothing on our own we can do nothing on our own 
we need God so desperately. So even though Jonah was trying to get away from God, when Jonah felt like his life was slipping away from him, who did he cry out to? God. He knew that God was his only hope. God is the only one who could possibly save him. The very one he was trying to get away from is the very one that he needed desperately to save him. So he cried out to God. And then he's he's maybe thinking about the sailors and people who worship false gods. And he says, those who worship false gods turn their back on all of God's mercies, which is exactly what Jonah had done as well. He tried to get away from God. Why? Because God is going to be merciful to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want God to be merciful to the people of Nineveh. So Jonah turned his back on God's mercies. And now he is coming face to face with the mercy of God. Even when Jonah was turning his back on the mercies of God, God was reaching to Jonah in mercy to save him. I mean, it's just amazing. God's mercy is incredible that he would reach out to those of us at the very times when we're trying to get away from him, he's still reaching out to us. And then at the end of his prayer, he just admits, I will offer my sacrifices and my vows to you alone, God. You alone are God. You alone are worthy of all that I am and all of my praise. And he says, for salvation comes from the Lord alone. You alone, Lord, are the one who saves you saved me in the belly of this fish. You saved me. And his heart is getting ready to admit that God is merciful and that God is kind and God is a saving God, even to the people that he does not want to go. So this whole experience in the belly of the fish is preparing him to see the greatness and the majesty and the wonder and the magnitude of the mercy and kindness and saving love of God and to bring him face to face with the reality that God wants to save everyone. He wants to save everyone. Even you, Jonah, even though you ran away from God, God God wants to save you. And even the people of Nineveh who are so far from God and they do not know God, they don't know his mercies. They're turning his back, their backs on his mercy and worshiping false gods. And yet God desires to save them because salvation comes from the Lord alone. When Jonah finally understood, when he finally understood, Jonah chapter 2 verse 10 tells us, Then, then, the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. I have to assume that if it, it had taken longer for Jonah to understand the mercy of God, that the, the fish would have just swam in circles. We have every reason to believe that when the fish vomited Jonah up onto the land, which is how the NIV says it, spit him out or vomited him out onto the beach, it was probably on the coast of Palestine, probably very, very near, possibly very near where Jonah got on the ship in the first place. And then he had to go to Nineveh, which is about 550 miles of a journey that he would have done on land then. So, but I think that if, 
I think that if Jonah needed more time to understand the grace of God and the kindness of God and the mercy of God, I think that the whale would have just swim, swam in circles <laughs> and, and God would have given Jonah the time he needed to figure it out. Now, does Jonah totally get it? No. <laughs> We're going to see that he continues to struggle with watching people who have been so evil and such enemies of Israel watching God's forgiveness reach even to them, he's going to really struggle with that. So God's lessons for Jonah yet are not done. But right now, Jonah is understanding, okay, the people of Nineveh, God loves them. God desires for them to hear his message of truth and salvation and repentance and forgiveness he is a God of mercy, and I'm going to go. He's finally coming to terms with that. So then the Lord tells the fish, okay, spit Jonah up on the land. He is ready now to go to Nineveh. When he gets to Nineveh, he continues to have some struggles. But what I want to do right now is I want to turn to a couple of psalms that are very sim similar to to what Jonah wrote, what Jonah's prayer is, just about feeling so abandoned, feeling so scared, feeling so near death, and needing God to save you. There's a lot of Psalms that are surprisingly similar to this. It helps us understand how universal this feeling is that Jonah had. I mean, none of us have been in the belly of a fish, and very few of us have experienced almost drowning in the ocean. But the experience of suffering and of, of feeling like we're drowning, metaphorically, is common to all of us, some more than others, and at various times in our lives. So whether it's through grief or addiction or depression or anxiety, illness, abandonment by other people, whatever the case may be, there's different reasons that we feel this way, but the feeling of feeling like we are metaphorically drowning is common to us. And I just want to share a couple of the other psalms that show this. So one of them, Psalm 88. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you day by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer and listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draw nears. I'm as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in the grave. I'm forgotten, I'm cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down with wave after wave, you have engulfed me. You've driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I'm in a trap with no way to escape. My eyes are blinded by tears. Each day I beg for help, Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds to any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? Lord, I cry out to you. I keep on pleading day by day. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? I've been sick and close to death since my youth. 
I stand helpless and desperate before your terror, terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. It's devastating, right? To read that and to read the devastation that this person feels, the depression and the loneliness, the feelings of abandonment, the feelings of total loss, total loss and suffering, and reaching out to God and just waiting on God to, to respond in love. Now, we know that the Lord will respond in love. We don't understand why it sometimes seems to take a long time for the Lord to respond in love. Sometimes it's simply that we're not listening. And then sometimes it's that we are listening, and yet the Lord is doing a work in our hearts that is not done yet. And that he is going to finish prior to bringing us out of this time of suffering. And so it's like just hanging on for dear life. That is what it sounds like the psalmist is doing here, just hanging on for dear life. But we know that a time will come for praise. The very next psalm, Psalm 89, starts out singing, I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. So the experiences of suffering are going to end. That There will be an end to suffering. We have a full guarantee that there will be an end to suffering. But in the midst of suffering, we cling on to dear life for the unfailing love of our God. The unfailing love of our God. We might not feel it. We might not feel like it's an experience. We might not see it right now in our life. So we hang on for dear life by faith. By faith, we hold on. Knowing full well that Jesus is holding on to us and he will never let go. In the midst of suffering, he will never let go. And when we are in the midst of suffering, we remember that he suffered more than any of us. He suffered beyond our imagining of suffering, not only through the pain of a horrible crucifixion, but primarily through the weight of the sin of the world in his body. He understands suffering. So in the midst of our suffering, we can have full assurance that Jesus knows and that Jesus is there and that Jesus won't let go. He is holding on to us for dear life. I'm going to read Psalm 40, some of my um, favorite words out of all the Psalms. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on solid rock and he steadied me as I walked along. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, and he did hear my cry. He lifted me up out of the muck and mire, and he set my feet upon a rock. 
he does see and hear and know your suffering. He is aware of your suffering and he is there. One of the most incredible things about the scriptures to me is the the amount of times that God is with people in the midst of suffering throughout the pages of scripture. So if we go through the pages of scripture and just think about the many times that people are in a literal wilderness or a spiritual wilderness, a time of darkness and solitude and confusion and suffering and abandonment. And we see God show up. In Genesis 16 and 21, we see him with Hagar in the wilderness. And Hagar, the Egyptian slave of Abram and Sarai, is the first person to ever give God a personal name. And she says, I have seen the God who sees me. You are the one who sees me, she says to God, because he meets with her in a time of suffering and pain. He reveals himself to her and she sees that he is with her and that he loves her. We see him with Jacob in the midst of the wilderness when he is confused and running away from home and we see God descending. He has his angels descending and ascending on a stairway in in Jacob's dream and we see that God is with Jacob and calls to him and gives him the name Israel. We see that God is with Joseph. One of my favorite one of my favorite scriptures in the Old Testament is Genesis 39:21. It's after Joseph goes to prison, and I just think it's staggering. Genesis 39 verse 21 says, "But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love." The Lord was with Joseph in prison. I just think that's amazing. Our God is willing to go to prison with Joseph to show Joseph how much he loves him, to show that he is with him. We see that the Lord is with Moses out in the desert after Moses killed a man and 40 years later he is still hiding in the deserts of Midian and the Lord shows up through a bush that is on fire but not really. (laughs) And uh, the Lord shows up to Moses. Moses has been hiding for 40 years and God shows up. We see that God shows up in the desert for the people of Israel over and over and over again. He he shades them with a pillar of cloud by day and gives them light and heat by a pillar of fire at night. And he protects them in the middle of the wilderness. We see that God is with Rahab who doesn't even, she's not an Israelite and yet God has revealed himself to her and made himself known and she knows that he is the one true God and she gets grafted into the people of Israel and becomes an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout David's entire life we see David in the wilderness literally running for his life from King Saul, hiding from King Saul for years and years and years and God is with him in the wilderness so much that David uses those years and uses that time of solitude and fear to write about his God and we have it presented in the Bible as the book of Psalms that he he writes us poem after poem after poem about the faithfulness and love of God who is with him in the desert, who's with him in the wilderness, who protects him while he um, is being hunted by his enemies and and the Lord never leaves him. The Lord never leaves him. We see God showing up in the desert time after time after time. We see God showing up in the desert, in the wilderness, in the belly of a fish, in prison. We just see him showing up 
over and over again when people are in the midst of suffering. And Jonah is no exception. And dear friend, neither are you and I an exception to this. In the midst of our suffering, we have a God who shows up. We cannot flee from his presence. No matter where we go, we cannot get away from him. And nor should we want to. Because he is the very one we need. He's the very one we're looking for. He's the very one who sees and knows us best. And he is there for us, full of mercy. He's there for us, full of mercy. And that's, I think, what Jonah chapter 2 wants to show us. So I hope you have a wonderful day. And I hope you'll join me again as we find out more about what happens next in the story of Jonah. Have a great day. Bye.